0: Father, your word is precious, and so we pray that as we turn to your word and consider the calling you have given us, that you would open the scriptures to us, that we might understand it, trust it, and be transformed by it. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, for those of you who live in St. Tammany, thank you, babe. How many people do you think live in Covington, Mandeville, Madisonville, and Abita Springs together. How many people do you think live in those four towns, all the zip codes represented by them? Got any guesses? Quarter of a million. Of a million. You're, you're overshooting. Not that many. Let's get, take one more guess. 48,000. Actually, we're right here in the middle. The population of Covington, Mandeville, Madisonville, and Abita Springs is roughly 134,000. I want to apologize to our Folsom residents my latest census data that I got didn't include Folsom. There's a long story about that. The bottom line is this is the information I got. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Folsom people. We consider you a part of us and a part of West St. Tammany. I can explain more later. Now, here's a second question. How many of those 134,000, how many of them believe the gospel? How many of them know the hope and joy of, not only of forgiveness and of knowing their God, how many of them have a deep abiding connection with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And you might think because we live here between Baptist Mississippi and Catholic New Orleans that everybody here has believed the gospel and has had ample opportunity to believe the gospel. But it's simply not true. According to the latest census records, along with my best estimates, a large percentage of West St. Tammany is lost. Now, what do I mean by lost? You know, that language in evangelical use is usually tied to whether a person has been born again, whether they've had a a salvation experience. But I want to be careful with my use of that language because the language of lostness can feel derogatory, like we're looking down on our neighbors because they don't believe. And that's just not the case. Because the responsibility of addressing a community's lostness. The responsibility for addressing that is not the responsibility of the lost. That responsibility falls on the found because we are the ones who have the gospel. We are the ones who know God. We are the ones who know the path to life, namely Christ. Here's what I'm getting at. When a large percentage of a community is lost... The churches of that community need to consider whether every man, woman, and child there has had repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. That's the first place we should look. We don't look down on the lost because they're lost. We don't shame people for not knowing the gospel. Rather, we look at ourselves and we ask, have we, the people of God, provided opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for our neighbors first to see the gospel lived out, to see lives that are changed by Jesus. Have we offered opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for the gospel to be clearly heard? And then have we give them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to respond to the gospel? Have we invited them to no longer be lost? Have we invited them To be saved. The work of salvation is God's. It's a miracle when someone believes in Christ. That's His work. But the work of getting the gospel to people, that's our work. We can't change people's hearts, but we can speak the truth. We can love them in a way that shows a changed life. We can show up in their life and when a community is lost, we have to immediately not look at the community, we have to immediately look at its churches. Are we providing repeated opportunities for every man, woman, boy, and girl to see, hear, and respond to the gospel? Let me give you a flurry of statistics. If you want more details, I have more. I tried to call it you can grab me afterwards. So if we got a total population of 134,000, according to the 2022 census records, these are the religious preferences of our community. 30% prefer Baptist church. 18% prefer Catholic. 16% prefer non-Christian religions, cults, or no faith at all. This Saint Tamm- West St. Tammany, those four towns, that's who we're talking about here. 13% prefer Methodist. prefer non-denominational, 2% prefer Presbyterian. So as you're seeing this, you might notice a couple of things. First of all, you think, 30% are Baptists. We don't agree with them on everything, but Baptists love Jesus. So one in three people in West St. Tammany is a Christian? Well, not exactly. I'm not sold on that, and we'll get to that in a second. Also, if you've been around for long, you're like, where are the Pentecostals? Where are the Lutherans? They're not on this list. There are a lot that fall under that 9% that I cut out. I just put Presbyterians there to get a chuckle at uh, where we are. But let's try to put these numbers in context. Let's compare West St. Tammany to the U.S. average. So 30% of West St. Tammany prefers Baptist. Keep in mind, it's religious preference. Like if they had to go to church, what would they pick? So 30% would prefer Baptist versus the U.S. average of 16.1. So the Baptists are swinging above their, their weight limit a little bit there. Uh, The Catholics, this surprised me, are actually below the national average in West St. Tammany. It's 18% here, but it's 23% in the whole country. One in four people, if they were forced to go to church, would go to Catholic church in in the U.S. Uh, In non-Christian or no faith, 16% in West St. Tammany, it's only 23% in the country. Presbyterian two and four. (laughs) What I'm trying to show you here is there's really not a radical difference between West St. Tammany. We might be a little more Baptist, but we're a little less Catholic. We might be a little less atheistic, agnostic, or non-Christian, but there's a lot of similarity here. The other thing, too, is, well, 16% of the country says they prefer Baptist, 23% of the country says they're Catholic, and 10%, you really think one in two Americans is actually a Christian? Religious preference isn't necessarily expressing what a person believes. I want to look at a text that I hadn't planned to. I was in the shower this morning. I thought we should look at that. Grab your Bible, turn to Romans 10. In Acts chapter 17, you may remember this when Paul's at the Areopagus, what does he tell the Greeks? He says, I surmise that you are very religious. You have all these statues of all these gods here, but you don't worship the one true God. You're very spiritual people. You're very religious people. Likewise, in Romans chapter 10, Paul is lamenting the state of his brother, his brothers and sisters, namely the Jewish people, how they were pursuing a righteousness that comes through the law not knowing the righteousness that comes through faith. And listen to what he says in chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the the Hebrews is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to what? Knowledge. For being what? Ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. I want to point these two things out. Both the Jews and the Greeks had great zeal for religion. And you can look at their lives and say, they're pretty good people. The Jews are trying to be really righteous by the law, but there's a problem. They don't know the truth of the gospel. There is one righteousness that saves, the righteousness that can be had through faith in Christ. So it really doesn't matter what your preference is when it comes to church. The question is, do you believe in Jesus? Do you know that he is the only way to know God? Every year, Ligonier Ministries, which is out of Orlando, ministry of R.C. Sproul, um, they do a survey where they try to survey a, a, a wide spectrum of the country to see what people actually believe. To get past the religion, past the spirituality, past the preferences, to ask them, what do you actually think? I handpicked a few of those for us to look at that we can apply not only to the U.S., but also to West St. Tammany. Here's the first one I chose. They said, do you agree with this or disagree with this, that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam? We would strongly disagree. There's only one worship that the Lord accepts, and that's worship to Jesus Christ. 45% of the country says, yeah, we strongly agree. God accepts all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Well, that kind of goobers up the numbers a little bit, doesn't it? When you start to look, 22% somewhat agree, 11% not sure. Let's look at the next one. Do you agree or disagree? Biblical accounts of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus are completely accurate. The event actually occurred. 47% of the country agrees. One in two Americans believes Jesus literally came back from the dead. Hmm. That's interesting. 19% somewhat agree. I'm not sure how you somewhat agree with that statement. But I don't think any of us would say one in two Americans is a Christian. So they believe something that's very important, right? Let's look at the next one. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 31% strongly agree with that. Now, we would strongly disagree with that. We believe he was God. So one out of four Americans believe that Jesus was God. Now we're starting to get somewhere. You've got to believe Jesus is God if you're a Christian, right? That's kind of a key part of the process. So it kind of starts to narrow it down beyond religious preferences, beyond like you believe in a God, you believe Jesus came back from the dead. But this one question that Ligonier asks, I think, is the crux of the issue. I think Romans 10 and Acts 17 would argue that this next statement are the crux of the issue. This is the sort of thing we ask Daniel Talley when he comes to meet with elders. We want to know if you're a Christian or not. We want to know this. Do you agree with this? God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. A third of the country agrees with that statement. One in three Americans agrees with that statement. That's something. This is a core gospel tenet. This is the one Paul points to in Romans chapter 10. So 34% of the U.S. firmly believes this gospel tenet. Now, only 31% of them firmly believe that Jesus was God. So, you know, surveys are what they are. And it, I think we're all comfortable saying Americans are really theologically inconsistent. But let's just say that was a theo- theology joke for those of you uh, non theology nerds out there. So, Let's just use this 34% number as our benchmark, okay? Let's say that one out of three Americans is a born-again Christian, and two out of three Americans is lost, okay? Can we apply those numbers to West St. Tammany? Can we say that only one out of three citizens in West St. Tammany are Christians? Well, let's look again at the numbers here. So, in terms of preference, 30% of West St. Tammany prefers Baptist religion, I can promise you we don't have 40,000 Baptists going to church every Sunday. We don't have 40,000 chairs in all the Baptist churches in West St. Tammany. Even we count the little bitty churches and the gigantic one across the street, right? Let's look at the Presbyterian numbers. (laughs) So when asked on a survey, 2,680 people said, if I had to go to church, I'd go to a Presbyterian church. I know the five Presbyterian churches in West St. Tammany. You got us, you got New Covenant, you got... uh, uh, Covington Presbyterian Church. You got two other churches. Let's be really generous. <laughs> we averaged seventy-eight in worship each week last year. New Covenant, I don't know, maybe two or three hundred in worship, uh, and then the other churches are, are much smaller. Uh, Covington Presbyterian is probably about like us. Let's just say we are. All of our roles are a little bit inflated. Max numbers, we've got seven hundred to thousand Presbyterians on the rolls. So where are these other thousand people, right? So what I'm trying to tell you is these numbers don't tell you a whole lot about who believes the gospel and who doesn't. So how do we come from the, get from these numbers to having a solid knowledge of the place where we live? So these are the best estimates that I can come up with about West St. Tammany's lostness. First, we know that 16% of your neighbors self-profess to not be a Christian. So that's an easy starting point. We know that much. But you likely know from experience and just common sense that, those numbers, that the number is actually greater than that. So what if we only count the people who are involved in their faith? 27% of your neighbors profess to not be involved in their faith. One in four people said, no, I, I might have a preference, but I don't really have a faith that I participate in. That's in contrast with 35% in the country. So there is a difference between West St. Tammany and the U.S. But what do we believe about being a Christian? We believe that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and he necessarily calls you to repentance. When you sin, he calls you to repentance. When you're not obeying, he calls you to repentance. And if you don't repent, what does the Spirit do? He disciplines us. So if a person is for a very long time not involved in any faith, I think we can apply some theological law of averages and say a quarter at least, one out of four people in West St. Tammany, 27%, is not a Christian. But let's now take that number and sharpen it a little bit more with the, the details we got from Ligonier. Because religious preferences and religious activity don't mean that a person grasps the core tenets of the gospel. They can have a zeal for God that's not matched by knowledge or faith. So here's my final wrap-up of the numbers. If two out of three Americans, 66%, are likely to be lost, based upon the Ligonier survey, even with the slightly more religious culture of West St. Tammany, it seems an optimistic and safe estimate, if not super generous, that 50% of West St. Tammany is lost. So between that 66% of the country, I'll, I'll give a 16% margin just to give us the benefit of the doubt. So think about that. On average, every other person that you interact with at work and in your neighborhood probably doesn't know Jesus. It's not just that they don't go to church or that they don't read their Bible regularly. They've not heard the gospel clearly. They do not have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. You do. You hear it all the time. You hear it here. You hear it in your home. Your children do. They're hearing the gospel all the time, but your neighbors don't. They may have never heard the gospel clearly. So how does that change your assumptions about southeast Louisiana? Would you have guessed that half of your neighbors don't know Jesus? Would you have guessed that half of your co-workers don't know Jesus? And perhaps more importantly, how does that stir your heart? Do you care that half of your neighbors don't know Jesus? I imagine a number of you are surprised by those numbers, are immediately concerned by those numbers. Some of you might be in disbelief. People seem pretty religious to you. People seem pretty... Good to you. So maybe my 50% estimate is wrong. Maybe it's 40%. Maybe it's 60%. I think 50% is a safe place to start. The real question is, what are we as the people of God going to do about it, regardless of the numbers? That's the challenge that we have to face. If we're going to be realistic about the lostness of St. Tammany Parish, if we take these numbers seriously and then view our community differently, what must we do about it? If every man, woman, and child in West St. Tammany does not have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel, the lostness of our region will only grow. Why do I say that with such conviction? Because it's what the scriptures tell us. Again, in Romans 10, Paul says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. People can't believe the gospel if they don't hear it. And they need to hear it more than once. What was your experience like? How many times did you have to hear the gospel over and over and over before you believed the gospel. What was that process like for you? So the question again is this, what are we as the church, what are we as purveyors of the gospel to do? I've been praying for you over the last couple of months, praying for the new year, asking God what it is he wants us to step into this year as we seek to serve West St. Tammany. And I believe God has a challenge for this church ...for you, each of us, to attend to this year. And this is it. Let 2023 be the year when you take ownership of the lostness of St. Tammany Parish. I'm inviting you to own it. Now, what does that mean? I'm not saying every one of you is called to be an evangelist. I'm not going to make all of you go out in the streets and do street preaching... ...or talk to every stranger you see about Jesus... What I am saying is West St. Tammany is lost and it won't change if people do not have repeated opportunities to see, hear and respond to the gospel. So we as the people who are not lost, we as the people who have the gospel, we have to take ownership of that problem and do something. And every one of you, whether you're a member of this church or not, whether you, I know some of y'all drove in for today. That's cool too. You have a part to play in this process in your hometown. Every Christian has a part to play. And over the next eight to ten weeks, we're going to chew on this together, and I'm hoping that you'll be able to walk away and say, okay, I I do have a clear vision. This little sliver of the job is my responsibility. This is the part that I'm supposed to play. But there's no way we could pull that off today. Each of you walk away with that clarity. So what are we trying to do today? Taking ownership of the lostness of West St. Tammany, of your hometown, begins with seeing three things differently. It begins with seeing your community differently, with seeing your church differently, and with seeing yourself differently. I'm going to zip through this as quick as I can because I know we're, we're getting close to time. So first, as Southern Christians, we need to realize how we need to see our community differently. We need to realize that the lostness of our region is, is uh, I'm going to say it again. As Southern Christians, we need to realize that the lostness of our region is growing, not diminishing or staying stagnant. Just like sales and working out. If you're not gaining, you're losing, right? And the population of St. Tammany Parish is growing rapidly by people moving here and by babies being born. And what that means is the gospel's losing ground. It's not just happening in New England and California anymore. And as Southern Christians who grew up with a culture of Christianity, we need to pull our heads out of the sand and see what's happening in our backyards. We need to see our community differently, but we also need to see our church differently. As American evangelicals, we need to smother the church growth impulse and re-engage in Acts 2 mindset. What's a church growth mindset? If I was going to draw it, it'd look like this. I did draw it. This is what it would look like. The goal with this model is to get everybody to come to church, to get everybody to join your church. And then your church gets better, bigger, right? And bigger means better, right? Bigger facilities, more programs, more ministry. The institution is central, and the institution ministers to the people that come to it. You show up, the institution serves you. So in the church growth model, the institution ministers to people. This is how 99.9% of American churches operate. Protestant, Catholic, doesn't matter. Even if we say differently, it's hard to get this nonsense out of our brains. But the question that we have to ask is this. Is that biblical? And what does it achieve? it achieve biblical ends. For time's sake, I'm not going to read the whole paragraph. I encourage you to check it out, especially you officers. Maybe this is your charge. Go read Acts 2, 42 through 47. There you see the early church shortly after the day of Pentecost. And what's happening in the early church? Every day they're worshiping together. Every day they're praying together. Every day they're eating together. And it says they grew in favor with all the people. It's a very different thing community centered individ- it's just very different from the church growth model go read it did the church in acts 2 grow yeah it ends with the lord added to their day to their number day by day but how did they grow in what way did they grow the movement of the church in acts 2 was not toward an institution toward the institutional church the institution wasn't doing the ministering instead it looks more like this the church as an institution does serve a purpose But a primary purpose of the institution is preparing and sending you to do the work of ministry. We're here to equip you, the individuals, to go and to feed others. Maybe 60 years ago in the South, there was an impulse that everybody should go to church. It just ain't there no more, right? It's just not a thing. If people outside the church are to hear the gospel, they won't come here to hear it. We have to go to them. The culture that you live in is much more similar to Paul in Greece and the apostles in Rome. That's the place that you live. And in Acts 2, we don't find an institution serving the people that come to it. Instead, in the Acts 2 model, every Christian plays a part in the redemption of their hometown. There was something radically different about those people at every level. And I won't go into all of it, but here's here's one note. It says, day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added number, uh, added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Acts two model mobilizes individual Christians to engage relationally with each other and with their unbelieving neighbors in a way that brings about gospel transformation. Today's our twenty third anniversary. What do you expect this to be? What do you want this to be? Do you see this as a place where people should come to be served? Or is it something else? How do you judge the success of this ministry in this church? Is it by our attendance numbers? By our facilities and our staff? Or is it by whether you as the people of God are being equipped and sent to do the work of ministry? We need to see St. Tammany differently, but we also need to see FPC differently. And lastly, as ordinary Christians, uh, we need to see ourselves differently. We need to understand how each of us is equipped to promote and to proclaim the gospel. This is what the whole, this whole sermon series is going to be about. Helping you to see how you are called to promote with your lifestyle and to proclaim with your mouth the good news of Jesus. Most Christians don't think it's their job to do these things. Most most Christians think it's the, oh, that's the job of the mature Christians, the professional Christians, the guys we just installed. They're the ones who are supposed to be promoting the gospel with their life and proclaiming the gospel with their lips. That's not the case. We all have a part to play. We all have people in our lives that can see something different in us and can have the gospel promoted to them. And you may not be called to share the gospel with every stranger that you know, but you're called to share the gospel with your mouth to somebody. So we're going to figure that out over the next few weeks because I believe God is calling us to let 2023 be the year when we take ownership of West St. Tammany Parish. And for some of you, that's going to look like all, all it may mean for you this year is just developing some friendships with some unbelievers because you don't know anybody that doesn't go to church here, right? For some of you, this might mean getting the courage to invite your next-door neighbors over for supper one night because you really don't know anything about them. Some of you, it may look like setting a goal of sharing the gospel with, I don't know, five people this year. Some of us, it's going to look like totally changing our rehabbing our calendar so that we can have the space to have relationships with other Christians or with non-Christians, to even be able to have those kinds of conversations. I don't know what God is going to call each of you to, but if you're going to own the lostness of St. Tammany Parish, it's going to be a very real, actionable, practical thing. So I invite you and I challenge you to let 2023 be the year when you take the ownership of the lostness of West St. Tammany. Let's pray. Father, it's staggering to think that one in two of our neighbors don't know Jesus and do not have repeated opportunities to hear about him, to see what difference he makes, and to believe in him. And so I pray, Father, that you would stir something in our hearts this morning and in the weeks ahead so that we as your people would step into this place and that each of us would have a sense of how you've called us to promote Christ where we go, to proclaim Christ where we go. Lord, save West St. Tammany. Glorify your name through the spread of your gospel here in this place.